Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we're delighted today to uh, have as our special guest one of the uh, great uh, names of comedy of the last 30 years, really, I would say. Kind of more, almost. But, yes, uh, yeah, long time. Big star of TV, radio and stage. Please welcome Paul Merton. Thank you very much. Thank you. I can hear the sound of people clapping. <laughs> <laughs> amount of radio and mm. amount of TV. So, I mean, is there a preference for you? Radio? Just a minute. It's yeah. undoubtedly my favourite show. I think because when you know when I was watching Desperate Hours when it was going out originally, the Steptoe and Son, I was also listening to Just a Minute, and so to be on the show that I listened to as a teenager, mm. and when I lived in the bed sits in Streatham you may even have come to one of them I can't remember small rooms and I would have I didn't have a TV at one particular time so I would tape just a minute off the radio on a little C60 cassette you know uh, half hour each side and when I was going to sleep at night I'd put them on and listen to them and I heard one on Radio 4 Extra about a year ago which is one that I used to record and I knew it word for word. It was like I must. It, it was as if it, it was a play that I'd been in for fifteen years or something. I listened to it where Peter Jones says, "I don't think that's very likely," or whatever it would yeah, be. Yeah. Um, so to so a show that I really enjoyed, then to become part of it, uh, and Nicholas still going strong. At the, he's ninety five this year. He's 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 one year younger than the BBC. <laughs> the the year that Harold Lloyd was hanging off the clock in safety last was the year that he was born. I, 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 he won an award the other day at some radio awards where I gave him the award. His first radio job was in 1941, at the age of 18. So he's still, and you know, he's he's physically, you know, he's, he needs a stick now, but mentally, and he's still completely alert. He still wants to know what the next gig is. He's still sort of like eager for the next one, you know. So, so I would say in terms of. Just a minute, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in terms of the medium as well, I think because TV. Um, you know the, the, the sketch show the TV sketch show I did a long time ago uh, there's a lot of people involved and there's a great thrill to find yourself out on location and somebody's built a, a, a polystyrene whale and there's a mm-hmm. spout of water coming out of the top of it and there's a cowboy yeah. suspended in the spout of water and he's actually on a piece of wire and something you know, and all that is great to see yeah. But um, the immediacy of radio, I recently just did a thing, it's going out on April the 8th, that's Suki, my wife wrote, Suki Webster. Uh, and it was a play that we'd done in Edinburgh, and now we're doing it as a radio thing, and you've got the script in your hand. So, you, you, you know, that anxiety about, shall I remember the words mm. and all that sort of mm. stuff, or if it's a laugh you don't expect, it might throw you. It's, you can just take your time, it's all there. So yeah. that, that's a great joy as well. I mean, yeah. I, so I think probably radio would be... My favourite, although I mean, I still do the comedy store players and we do impro chums. I mean, that again is is good fun because if you have an idea, you just a comic idea, you just do it. You don't have to take it to somebody to see if they think it's a funny well, idea. This is know. the thing. I want to come back to the radio thing mm. in a moment, but um, you know, you must have done what two thousand impro shows and. Well, the comedy store players since nineteen eighty five. Mm. Just a minute since nineteen eighty nine. Uh, I, I looked up that the other day. Three hundred. I've done three hundred and ninety-five of them. Blimey. Just a minute. Yeah. And then have I got news for you? So nineteen ninety. So virtually everything is about. I've been doing everything for about thirty years. TV, radio, and stage, which yeah. is is extraordinary. Mm, really, just, I can't think of any anything that that sort of matches any sort of comparison to that. Really. I mean. No, I don't think so. No, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I mean, just a minute was going strong. I mean, it was going, it was already going for twenty years by the time I 
joined it. But yeah. uh, I think I was able to sort of, with with Nicholas's help mm. as well, I was able to change it a little bit in that Nicholas awards points for amusing remarks. Mm. So it, it encourages you to be yeah. funny, if you like, you know. Well, it did alter. And I mean, in a way that the radio, radio shows altered that, that you know, kind of, that, that obviously the, the, the influence of the of alternative mm. comedy. Mm. So that long-running shows like, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, and mm. News Quiz mm. and Just a Minute were strong enough as, as they were, whatever mm. they were, so that when somebody like yourself comes into Just a Minute, mm -hmm. um, that that kind of alters the... the fit or, or like I mean, the when, show itself yeah. is the star, really, for Just a yeah. Minute, because the format is so simple but so strong. It's very easy. I mean, kids get it straight away. You can't yeah. hesitate, repeat, or deviate, which, of course, are three of the things you use in comedy all the time. Yeah. Hesitation is called timing, pausing. Deviation is going on a flight of fancy, or whatever you call it, and... Uh, Repetition is emphasis. Yeah. So, I mean, in normal speech or, or comedy, you, you, you might employ all three of those. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, so the, the format is so strong and yet capable of infinite variety. Simple yeah. but capable of infinite variety. Yeah. yeah. So this, this show, then, that you've, uh, that, that's going out... Um, very soon. Mm. So, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, it's, uh, it's a play. That we, it's, we did it in Edinburgh about two or three years ago. It's, it's a half-hour play. Uh, which is now which Suki adapted for radio. Essentially, it's about a, a stalker, somebody who's a huge fan of a, of a stand-up comedian who's who's not as successful as he, as he would like to be, and she sort of essentially uh, breaks into his hotel room one night and and confronts him for not answering her fan letters and this right. kind of thing, uh -huh. and uh, realizes in the end that he's a completely egotistical person. <laughs> she, she sort of starts to go off him a bit because she's always been a big fan of him. Yeah. Um, but he's wearing pyjamas with photographs of himself on it because it's oh, merchandise yeah. and stuff, you know, and he's very, very egotistical. Right. And, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it went really well. We did it at the drill hall and the audience really lapped it up. It was, it was great fun. It yeah. was... That uh, feels like, um, in months, that feels like a really Hancock situation. Yeah, it could be, I suppose, in a way. Because um, I find it interesting that I mean, Hancock, it feels like in this country, at least, it almost invented the sitcom genre. Mm. You know, I know there was sort of the glums preceding it and that stuff. But at the same time, it, it doesn't bear any relation to sitcoms that came after it. No. Because it, it's about more of about an idea and mm. a situation then there's no real continuity or anything in me. It's just, it feels well, yeah, I mean, particularly in the radio, oh, yeah, in a TV show. I mean, one week he's an airline pilot and the next week he's an unemployed variety artist, mm. you know. So there was, I mean, Ray and Allen would be, sometimes people would try and claim that they invented sitcom mm. in this country. But, well, as you say, the Glums were before that. Mm. But also they were big fans of The Lucy Show in right. America yeah. and that's, yeah. that predates yeah. sitcom uh, that predates their work yeah. and yeah. you had stuff with Burns and Allen and Jack Benny and all yeah. that kind of stuff so it's a, kind, it's a sort of an American invention really yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. but it's such an amazing but it's, it's odd in a way that that there just isn't I mean and now you, I suppose you've got the inside number nine legal gentleman doing mm. their mm. six different things each mm. week mm. but that's sort of and that's the first thing like that for quite a long time, isn't mm. it? Obviously, mm. with your remakes of it. Mm. You just think, I'm surprised that that hasn't been tried more often. It's, pr it's probably down to expense. <clears throat> yeah. Partly, you know, if you've sort of, if you've got the same set every week for six weeks, you, you, you're you cutting down on the expense. If you've got to invent something new every week mm. uh, or build something new. And also a lot of writers, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. I mean, as you say, the uh, number nine, the League of Gentlemen yeah. guys do it. I suppose it's Black yeah. Mirror as well to some extent, mm. Right? Mm. but um, but in terms of mainstream classic sort of comedy, you can't quite imagine an eight thirty 
show. Well, it's also, I suppose, this thing about comic actors these days, you know, sort of like, who are the comic actors? I mean, Mm. mainly it's it's comedians tend to Mm. be doing comedy, isn't it? I mean, you know, who are the generation, who are the, I mean, Bernard Cribbins is still around, but, you know, if you think about all the actors, you would, John de Mazurier, you think of Dad's Army cast, for example... How, where, where would you actors, begin? Aren't they? Yeah, they're all yeah. actors. Where would you begin to cast something yeah. like Dad's yeah. Army to die? I mean, they did it, didn't they? Did the film, but they were using actors that aren't particularly known in comedy. Mm. Although Michael Gambon, was, yeah. I didn't see it. But also, why, why on earth, if you are a successful actor and known for it, why would you agree now to do a sitcom? Uh, for the BBC, an audience when, and, and the critics are literally lying in wait mm. to to dance on your grave for daring to do a sitcom. I suppose in sitcoms, uh, you know, like Lee Mack, for example, they, they, they tend to be written by the people who are in them. Mm, mm. Or the, you know, so, so you've got that sort of thing where comedians write their own. Quick thing about Michael Gambon. Mm. I mean, he did uh, Have I Got News For You once. And uh, they, on the show, they, they, they show you some of the questions beforehand so that people who are new on the show don't say on air, is this our question? What, yeah, what are we yeah, meant yeah, to be doing yeah. this? And all this sort of stuff. They don't give you much information, but they tell you, okay, this will be it. So we had Carol Vorderman hosting it. And this is a story about great acting. Carol Vorderman was hosting it, and so they played a conundrum. So they showed us like nine letters of the conundrum with the word all mixed yeah. up. So I said to Michael Gambon in the sort of like the, the not rehearsal, it's, it's not grand yeah. enough for that, but the brief run for it. I said, shall we pretend on the night that we don't know what a conundrum is and just say what the word is as it appears? He said, yeah. <laughs> so we get, you know, two hours later, up comes the words bubba wub, whatever it is. And he presses his buzz, he goes, bubba wub. <laughs> and the audience sort of laugh, and he looks at me. And as he looks at me, I'm convinced he's forgotten our conversation. Because <laughs> his eyes are telling me, what are they laughing at? <laughs> it's, that's what it says. And I had to take a moment to realise that he, it was acting. It yeah, was in right, his eyes, right. completely sold me yeah. that he was actually thought that it was Bubba Wub. That's great. And that's what you get with an actor, isn't it? An actor that can do that, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a superb actor that can do yeah. that in the eye. I once did a scene in a thing with... Um, Clive Owen, mm-hmm. where he was angry with my... His character was angry with my character. My God, it was totally real. Yeah. I mean, it really... There was no mucking about. Yeah. It really was... And I think it's the eyes. Yeah. yeah. I the eyes say, um, to tell you to sell the story. You I know? recently watched a um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, mm. and it's John Oliver talking to Jerry, mm. and they're both talking about acting in... Because John's been in a couple of bits, like Community and a few other things... And both he and Jerry know that they're not actors. Mm-hmm. And they were both basically bonding over the fact that sometimes they're with people who are really acting and they're, they're meant to be doing a scene in front of an audience just thinking, <laughs> wow, they're really good. And sort of going, oh, it's me. <laughs> well, this is what this, going back to Tony Hancock, that was something that when they, in the radio shows and, and the TV shows, they started to cast proper actors mm. instead of mm. comics. Uh, well, Kenneth Williams was a proper yeah. actor yeah. beforehand. But yeah. uh, instead of caricature, so if the guy was a postman, he was a real postman. Right. You know, if the guy was a solicitor, he was a solicitor. Yeah. And Tony liked that realism. Yeah, yeah. He liked that, and it was easier for him to bounce off somebody that if they were a vicar, they were a vicar. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it's yeah. actually when you have, because I remember the episode that they remade um, for BBC Four, Sid was the landlord, I think, wasn't he? And so he went to Sid, and that kind of slightly undermined. The I never saw it. I was away. No, that the Kevin that. McNally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really nice, actually. I um, thought they did a great job. His there. his impersonation is almost sort of uh, it's 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 almost. I mean, I want to say another word other than magical. It's possession almost. Mm, yeah. I think it's partly because he's got the same shaped head. 
you know? Because <laughs> I, hangdog look. Yeah, I mean, I saw him yeah. in Edinburgh doing a one-off thing. There was one point when he was just like coming away from the script and doing a visual thing over here. And I, I thought I was watching the real thing. Yeah. You know, it was extraordinary. Uh, uh, yeah, also it's like a reincarnation. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Paul Merton. We'll get back to it in a moment. And actually, there is a second part to this interview where we talk a lot about Galton and Simpson and how Paul got to know them. And that's a really interesting uh, discussion with some about some real comedy greats. And if you want to listen to that straight away, you can do it by being a Patreon subscriber. So you can support the show in that way. And you'll also find um, our interview with Jack Doherty. Uh, so you won't have to wait to hear those interviews you'll be able to hear them straight away and also an interview with twitter sensation uh, moose Allen, who is also a supporter of this show and we're very grateful to him and all of you who support us so if you want to um uh, listen to those plus other secret patreon only podcasts and you also get a copy of my book writing that sitcom and also we do our first 10 pages for us patreon members as well so lots of reasons to support us so do go over to our patreon page if you google patreon sitcom geeks you'll find us get in contact with us um, via email sitcomgeeks at gmail.com follow us on facebook and on twitter and we'll also be at the Craft of Comedy event in Llandudno. So I hope you uh, to see you there, maybe see you at that. In the meantime, back to our interview with Paul Merton. Just we're talking a little bit then about about um, the sitcom and how, how sitcom is, is changing. And, and, and I think what interests... Um, well, I, I always loved, although I didn't know at the time when I was watching Steptoe as a kid, they they were like they were very much the kind of uh, son of the kind of the one act. They were like one act mm. plays, weren't mm. they? And then mm. in, in the way, like you're saying with Hancock, that every week he's a different mm. person mm. Uh, or a di- different job. Mm. But um, that that sense of something that that's a self-contained story, but it mm. also that there's not. Even though it's an audience show, there isn't that kind of uh, absolute necessity for uh, got laughs. Got to be laughs yes. all the way through. Yeah. And um, I just was wondering if there would be any, you know, are, are, are there any because shows? you believed in the characters. Because yeah. the characters were so real. And I, this is, I remember now. I was going to say something earlier, and I got sidetracked. This is, I, I, I prefaced it with a story that you may not have heard, and you still haven't heard it. <laughs> so I'm going to tell it to you. Uh, the first series they did, the '63 series, Steptoe and Some, huge hit. You know, voted TV show of the year and best performances and all this sort of thing. At the end of that series, Wilfred Bramble gets the offer to go to Broadway. Uh, in America in a show called Kelly a new musical called Kelly now if this takes off he could be away for a year 18 months two years so he has a conversation with Ray Allen and he says well look this, you know, this is the break of a lifetime you know, I, I, I can't really say no to this and so they say well okay I mean obviously we, you know, we don't want to stop you going to Broadway so he goes off to America for rehearsals so Ray and Allen think amongst themselves they think okay I'll tell you what we do We'll keep the title Steptoe and Son. The old man dies. The son goes to the funeral. Howard goes to the funeral. Comes back to the house. There's a knock at the door. There's an 18-year-old boy at the door who says, my mum says if I was ever in this area, I should come and see you. And it turns out he's, a, he's the son yeah. of Ari H. Corbett. Yeah, right. lovely. Brilliant. Yeah. They'd gone as far as thinking who they wanted to play the son. This would be 1963-64. David Hemmings, who then, at that age, was... Um, 
I don't know if you know who David Hemmings is. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was quite very young looking, yeah. uh, up and coming actor. Um, that's who, that was their first thought, who they would want to get. Wilfred Bramble goes to America, opens up on Broadway. The show closes that night. <laughs> it was a disaster. The headline in Variety was, has anybody here seen Kelly? He's back <laughs> before the series starts, before they start writing it. Right. So, if that show had been a hit, mm. Wilfred Bramble would be a very difficult trivia question. Yeah. Who first played, who played the father in Steptoe Town? Harry H. Corbett. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. The first series who yeah. played the father. God, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Extraordinary. there we are. I've never, I've, I've not seen that story from Ray Allen in any of their interviews. Okay. So they, they told me that once. But yeah, yeah no, but that would work though. That's a very organic alternative. He didn't it? throw them. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll yeah. make this. We'll make. We'll make the son the dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then the and then it would be awful that 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 the son would feel himself turning into his dad. You need to come into the family yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know anything about it. You'll soon pick it up. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh my goodness. And he'd really understand yes. the kid not I mean, as we're talking about it. now, you can see the comic possibilities of yeah, the Harold, yeah. Harold and the son going out with the same woman or something. Mm. Or, yeah. or, you know, you've got an 18 year old in there who's sort of maybe yeah. into the Beatles and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And the old man saying, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with Benny Goodman or whatever it would yeah. be. Yeah. I suppose yeah. you get a bit of that in these still open all hours where now David Jason. Is, mm. is Arkwright and mm. has sort of turned into him mm. and his sort mm. of free spirit has been crushed and now yeah. there's a young young chap in that, I yes. suppose. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, Roy yeah. Clark it, it continues to amaze. I mean, I don't know how many scripts he's written. I mean, as, a, as a, uh, I've always, it's always, I've always much admired people who can do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most people, as you know, in, ter mm. in terms of writing, I yeah. usually work as a couple yeah. Or at least part of a team, but one one person right, and that's yeah. that's that's well, a rarity. I assumed he was sort of in his forties or fifties in nineteen seventy, but apparently he was, you know, he was writing all those last of the summer wines. He was sort of in his twenties when he mm. started. Mm. What well, I think he must have been about seventy or no? He's, I, oh, he's yeah, easily into his late seventies. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and he's just knocking them out. I mean, I think they did at least two hundred um, last of the summer wines. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think he then I heard a story from Paul Mayhew Archer where he was he said, well. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got he sort of you know he phoned the BBC and said do you want another show because I'm doing um, Last of Summer Wine in the mornings I'm doing keeping up you know I'm doing open all hours in the afternoon um, so I need something for my evenings what about a show about this woman you know Hyacinth Bouquet mm, mm. <laughs> come have a holiday you know ex-policeman um, that's all yeah, yeah, yeah they've got plenty of stories haven't they yeah. that's the great thing about Policeman, I mm, think they always mm, get access mm. to. Gotten and Simpson take three hours to write that episode? Of, <laughs> God, must have been a slow day for yes, them. That's right, yes, that's right. What, uh, what was the typewriter yeah. not working for half of it? Yeah. Alan always, it was always Alan that did the typewriter, okay. and then he always agreed that uh, nothing went down on the piece of paper until they were both they were happy with it. But yeah. if Ray went out of the room and came back for a moment, and Alan was just tidying something up or putting, what was that? No, no, nothing. I'm just <laughs> underlining something. But no, they always insisted that. You know, nothing ever got. Because I mean, you know, sometimes I've heard of uh, writers who write separately, yeah, mm. write in partnership, they write separately, then come together. I think Ben Elton and Richard Curtis did that mm. for the Blackadder shows, mm. with good reason, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that. No, um, but no, I mean, I when I, I've got a writing <laughs> a, a, a partner I've written with, sometimes we usually plot the episodes together, mm. and then I will go off and write one mm. draft, and then he'll. Mm 
have a look mm, and then yeah. he'll write a draft of a different episode mm-hmm. and then we'll swap. And mm. have, have you written, have you thought about that, sitting in a room with a, a writer? I know you occasionally with Room 101, you would have a, that would be a loop. Yes, we did that for on that. Well, um, of course, you've written a lot with John Irwin, haven't you? Yes, yeah. Um, we, we did the sketch show. That was a lot of, you know, that was a lot yeah. of work. Uh, we would take us about eight, nine months to write a series. But we were making it d- deliberately difficult for ourselves by trying not to... We, we kind of broke our rule towards the end, but we were trying never to do a repeat. Mm. So there were no running characters, apart from the kiosk thing, yeah. mm. um, which was just a way of... I had an idea of putting stand-up that didn't, yeah. didn't look like stand-up, and you can have people coming in and going. Yeah. A bit like Itmar. Yeah. You know, mm. you've got a central figure, and then somebody comes in and does, does a joke and disappears again. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's sort of I, I, I am. It's you know the three things I do. None of them involve uh, any preparation mm. apart from being sober, yeah. <laughs> turning up <laughs> which on is, time. Which has been a challenge. Oh, it's hell of a hell sure. of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the time now. It's <laughs> pubs are open. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, so yeah. I mean, I would. Um, the great thing about writing something that, that, that then gets picked up, and you know, like the TV script show, TV sketch show, is that you an idea you had that you think is funny. Mm. And then you speak to the prop guy, and then he says or she says, "Okay, how about this and that?" And say, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then you develop it, and then you film it, and then you throw it in, you show it in front of an audience. Now it might have been sort of six or seven months since you had the idea, and then the mm. audience laughed. That's great. Mm. There's mm. that's that's really that's the one thing that impro, which I suppose essentially is what I do in all the mm. other things, doesn't give you. You don't have that anticipation of something being shown to somebody okay you know so you know that's a very funny prop wait till people see that yes it works exactly as we thought it would work um in impro of course it's just which it makes it you know Mm. if you can do it it's it's the lazy person's way of doing it because Mm. you you can just off the top of your head yeah because i know you're a big big fan of silent uh comedians Uh, i'm doing a thing at city varieties leeds in in may uh showing some keaton chaplin lovell and hardy because i remember i was not a fan of uh Chaplin, and you you forced me to sit down and, and, and watch and the unknown Chaplin series. Yeah, yeah. yes. Gaffer taped into a chair. Yeah. In, in but the you know, in, in the end, I was very a very happy convert. It yeah. was well, it's it just the, if you a lot of early Chaplin stuff, the Keystone stuff, particularly the first stuff he did, it, it's it's not very good. Mm. Uh, and, but it wasn't. You know, they were these films were made in the space of three days mm. at a time when audiences were, you know, cinema was really sort of rocketing from its invention mm. in 1895 through to the 1910s. You know, uh, immigrants in America who couldn't speak in the land, couldn't speak English, mm. could go to see a film, uh, whether it be a western or a comedy and something. Mm. And, and the Chaplin Keystone films, like all the Keystone films, were made in two or three days. Uh, because the audience went two or three times a week and expected to see a new Keystone film every time. Mm. They weren't meant to last the week. Yeah. You know, so consequently, <laughs> yeah. there's not a lot of thought wow. goes in them. There's no mm. sort of... it's And if there's... Particularly the Chaplin films, I'll just say this briefly, mm. just in case anybody's a Chaplin fan, there's some terrible versions of the Keystone films because they're not in copyright. Nobody owns the copyright. They are just dreadful. They are... They, not only do they look bad, but they've got the wrong... They've got a musical soundtrack on there which bears no relation mm. to the action. So you could watch one of those and just think you're, it's just dreadful. Yeah. But the BFI have brought out a Jap- Chaplin Keystone films uh, in a very good setting. But I would essentially go for uh, The Gold Rush that's available on DVD. Okay. And that, mm. that is... That's the gateway That's drug. the one. That's mm. the one. Okay. That's the one. Wow, that's, that's a, a hot tip there. Yeah. yeah. I just, just, just sort of thinking a little bit about that, 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 that the kind of contrast there that you know, so mm. much of what you do is just... 
off the cuff mm. of the moment mm. and and yet you know so much of what you admire is, is such incredibly crafted like sort of yes. those chaplain moments that take yes. you know kind of days to shoot yes or, or Buster Keaton as well mm. you know mm. but it, it, we were talking earlier about the sketch show I did for Channel 4 a long time ago mm. now but there was a lot of visual stuff in that yeah. you know, a lot of the oh, sketches yeah. were visual yeah. um, because there's something about when you're watching a silent film, when I, when, I, when I show these films with Neil Brand on piano and you show it to like an audience of 400, 500 people, um, you don't, if you watch a Marx Brothers film, you occasionally miss what Groucho's saying because you've laughed at the last yeah. line. Mm -hmm. In a silent film, there's nothing to get in the way. Yeah. The action is continuous. There's nothing to stop you just laughing continuously through the thing. And like some of the early Laurel and Hardy silent films, it just, it just, the laughter just builds and builds and builds. There's one called Big Business, mm -hmm. where essentially they're selling Christmas trees in California. Jimmy Finlinson, who's the sort of irascible Scott, was sort of bald Scott, was sort of mm. you know, who was always sort of originated the the, the phrase "dole," you know, which yeah. uh, they use yeah. in The Simpsons, which Homer uses in The Simpsons. There's a thing where the escalating fight between the two of them, the Christmas tree gets caught in the door, they start attacking his car, then they break the windows, and he breaks the windscreen of the car, then he <laughs> smashes the car with an axe, and the two of them it gets, you know builds and builds and builds in this 20 minute sequence, and in the end, um, the policeman comes over. And uh, says via a title card, who's responsible for all this? And Lauren Hardy point at Jimmy Finlinson and he starts crying. And then we cut to the policeman who's crying. And then we cut to Lauren Hardy who are crying. And we cut to some passers-by, witnesses who are crying. And it's like, it, every cut, there's a huge laugh on it. <laughs> like, one, two, three, four, five. There's a huge laugh. And it's, mm. and it's when they made it in 1928, they would take it to a, a, a cinema of people and say, OK, this is a, something you're not expecting, but we just want you to see this. People would sit around with notebooks and say, okay, that cut needs to come in there. That, yeah, we don't need that one. Uh, I mean, that one's good. Yeah. Howard Lloyd sort of kind of invented this as yeah. a way of doing it. And it still works. Yeah. It still works today. It is so brilliantly done. The film, the Howard Lloyd film, Safety Last, when he's hanging off the clock, starts climbing up the building. The last half hour of that film is as potent as any half hour cinema has ever been made. It's yeah. still... People still gasp. Yeah. People and they, and they don't notice in the Harold Lloyd film that the background changes. Right. Because they've gone to another they've gone to another uh, yeah. location. Yeah. So to be higher up, there's a building which appears halfway through. Nobody ever notices yeah, that. Yeah. But when the when he's balancing on this window ledge and there's a mouse runs up his trousers, people scream. They scream <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. You know, in a way which they get so engaged with yeah. it, a bit like radio. Uh, the silent film doesn't give you all, all the information. Yeah. You have to bridge that gap yourself. It makes so, you lean yeah. in, doesn't it? It yeah. makes you lean in. And if you look away, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. It's gone. So you, it pays, you know, it, it rewards 100% attention. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's okay. like the birds, the scariest moment in the film, the birds. Isn't, you know there's going to be flocks of birds attacking mm. people. Mm. And things, mm. But there's, there's a moment about halfway in the film where uh, there's someone's putting a picture up on the wall. Mm. And she's just knocking the nail in, and, and it, it, it jolts yes. suddenly, yeah. and she goes, <gasps> and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and you see it in the cinema. Everyone in the room just goes, ah! yeah. Well, he he knew this. Uh, uh, I, I did a documentary with Suki a long time ago about Hitchcock, and he would he knew that. So, sort of, take for example, Psycho. Here's mm. a very good example: that the shower scene in Psycho. 25 minutes in mm. that you don't see anything else anything like as bad in the rest of the film you don't need to because yeah. he set you at such a pitch yeah. that you're just you know particularly if you've never seen the film before yeah. and he's breaking all the narrative rules yeah. but she's the star of this yeah. you know she's the star of this film and now she's gone yeah. um, there's a bit where the um, investigating detective is at the house and he's walking up the stairs 
and Hitchcock goes to this top shot up here, right at the ceiling, really odd angle, looking down on the stairs, and it's it's disconcerting. Yeah. And then the figure, the mother figure, comes out from the side here and just stabs him. It's all in a wide shot, mm -hmm. but you're already discombobulated because what are we doing up there? Yeah. Why are we up there? And it just comes in because he's trying to disguise who the mother is as well. Right. Yeah. But. So that shot from um, North by Northwest when he's coming out of the UN building or something, isn't it? That's another it's brilliant shot. So high up, and you see it's, it's, it's like an ant yeah. running across. It's, it's so and yeah, it, 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 it's but it's unsettling, isn't it? It is unsettling. Yeah. It is unsettling because it's sort of um, to quote another Hitchcock film, Vertigo. You know, you're, you're unnecessarily high. It's, it's wrong. Yeah. Why are we that high up? Our thanks go to Paul Merton for his time and his kind hospitality to us and there will be more from him on the next episode and of course if you can't wait then do join us on Patreon and you'll be able to listen to the rest straight away. So thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Bye bye.